having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold trembled at the voice of him who called out, while the temple was filled with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Good to be back with you, and uh, we're starting a four-part series today, focusing on the attributes of God, and this series is entitled Game of Thrones. Now, I've never seen the show. I don't have HBO, and uh, I probably wouldn't watch it anyway. It's too violent, too dark, too promiscuous. But it's probably depicting life that was very similar to what's happening in the Old Testament with the kings of Israel and Judah. Because kings do have a tendency to play games. And they often make up their own rules for those games. And rules that will violate God's will. So this series is primarily about the attributes of God. And today we're going to try to focus on the least understood attribute of all, holiness. This is something I have absolutely limited comprehension of. I, I tried somehow to capture it, but it's so be far beyond me, it just left me absolutely bewildered. But it's an appropriate attribute to look at because we're going to celebrate communion today, the Lord's table, which depicts the events that became necessary because of God's holiness. So let's pray and then we'll start. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be in your house and to focus on who you are, your greatness, your glory, your love, and even your holiness, although it is something that is so far beyond our understanding, we can't comprehend it. And yet we want to see more of it. So open our eyes, open our hearts, so that we can grasp what it is to be subjects of a holy God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Some parts of God are relatively easy to understand. God's love is something that everyone knows about. People talk about it all the time. We don't hear a lot about God's holiness, especially in the kind of society that we have today. And A.W. Tozer said, it is impossible to have a healthy attitude about ourselves and others if our concept of God is faulty. And that explains a lot of things, like 2018, for example. That's what went wrong. What were we thinking? 
Because it's impossible to have a healthy attitude if our concept of God is faulty. And with so many religions, there are many different concepts of God. It's like a food court. There's something for every taste. And unfortunately, there's no health inspector to make sure that hygienic standards are enforced. And that's why there's so much food poisoning. Now the Bible invites us to taste and see that the Lord is good. Healthy nutrition begins with hungering and thirsting for the living God. The problem is, however, that mere humanity cannot know God by reason or research or even religion. We can only know him through revelation. God has to reveal himself to us. And that's what the Bible is all about. In the scriptures, God reveals himself. And the one thing we discover in the Bible, that God is on the throne. He is sovereign over everyone and everything. He has no equal, no rival. He reigns supreme. Meanwhile, down here on earth, we have created an alternate universe where we imagine that we are in control. I am the master of my fate. I'm the captain of my soul. No one tells me what to do. And these ideas of self-sufficiency have a high toxicity level. And one of the symptoms is delirium, which has all kinds of unhealthy consequences. And we see that vividly portrayed in the Old Testament. You see, God's chosen people, the Hebrews, didn't need a human king because God was their king. But that wasn't good enough. They wanted someone with skin on, a monarch like all the other nations. And God granted their request, and Israel had a succession of kings. Some were good and godly, but most were not. And that's because human beings who sit on thrones tend to overestimate themselves and they start playing games like Monopoly, Trivial Pursuits, Warcraft, Balderdash, and the Skins game. And today we're going to look at a godly king who couldn't resist playing the high-stakes game of Risk. And that's when his career took an unexpected and tragic turn. We read here in chapter 26, verse 3, Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. 16 years old. How many teenagers are ready to become prime minister or president? Uzziah had to quit his part-time job at Burger King to become Judas king. And it was at a very difficult time. But he reigned for 52 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. He sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. Although his father acted righteously for most of his reign, towards the end, He had not listened to God, and they suffered a devastating military defeat that left the capital in ruins, 
and a 600-foot section of the wall had been demolished, and the Mexican government refused to pay for it. So how can a 16-year-old deal with a disaster like that? Well, Uzziah had one thing going for him. Unlike his father, he was a good listener. It says he sought the Lord during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. So Uzziah had a sense of reverence, which enabled him to learn the two most important lessons in life. Number one, there is a God. Number two, I am not him. Uzziah was instructed in the fear of God, which really is the missing link in our promiscuous, permissive, overprivileged postmodern culture. So Uzziah got off to a great start. And God loved Uzziah, and Uzziah loved him. And God rewarded him with the most unstable substance in the universe success. Verse 5 says, as long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. And the following verses document his success, and it was impressive. Verse 15 says, his fame spread far and wide. So Uzziah's place in history was secure. From here, it was a short putt to the Hall of Fame. Unfortunately, Uzziah picked the wrong club. And with his five iron, overshot the mark by 200 yards. His fame spread far and wide, and he was greatly helped until he became powerful. And as Indiana Jones would say, I have a bad feeling about this. It says in verse 16, but after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. His pride led to his downfall. C.S. Lewis writes, Pride is the utmost evil. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. And our generation doesn't understand the danger of pride. Our culture encourages pride. We even have parades where we can assert our pride. But it's not just happening out there. Churches have complex ecosystems that can cultivate pride. So I just have to ask, does anyone here have a problem with pride? Keep your hands up. I want to just take down some names. (laughs) You see, I have a pre-existing condition. I'm a sinner. And so pride is at the very core of my life. And although my pride may be dormant on Monday, by Tuesday afternoon my circumstances have shifted, creating cracks in my sanctification until a molten rage spews forth, causing widespread environmental damage in my immediate vicinity. There's not a week that goes by where my pride doesn't become a major problem. When it comes to pride, we may be in remission at times, but none of us are totally cured. Uzziah had a wonderful, glorious reign, but towards the end, His pride led to his downfall. Uzziah's pride even overruled his sense of reverence and motivated him to take a foolish risk. It was an unforced error. It says in verse 16, he was unfaithful to the Lord his God, 
and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Oh, this, this can't happen. I mean, this was exceeding abundantly disrespectful. Reverence means that you take God seriously, so you understand your limits, you know where the boundaries are. Well, pride refuses to acknowledge any limits. Yes, we can. You go, girl. I can do anything. If I could dream it, I can do it. We hear those aspirations all the time. Pride is pushing us past the boundaries into forbidden territory. So, Uzziah, you've just won the Super Bowl. What are you going to do now? Are you going to Disney World? No, I'm going into the temple. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. What? Are you kidding? Isaiah, you can't do that. You're offside. Only the priests are allowed to do that. Separation of church and state. Verse 17. Azariah the priest with 80 other courageous priests of the Lord followed him in. They confronted him and said, It is not right for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. That is for the priests, the descendants of Aaron, who have been consecrated to burn incense. See, the priests represented a higher authority than human government. And that temple was a reminder that God was sovereign. So even a king had to know his place. Uzziah, what were you thinking? Was he having some kind of midlife crisis? Leave the sanctuary for you have been unfaithful and you will not be honored by the Lord God. What's he going to do? This was his moment of truth. What happens next is going to define his life and his legacy. And Uzziah could have accepted the rebuke. He could have humbled himself and asked for forgiveness. You know, that's why we have Ten Commandments. Because they show us where the boundaries are. You shall have no other gods before me. Xi Jinping, the leader of China, doesn't like that commandment. He's getting it stricken from all the churches. Because he is supreme. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Rugby fans don't like that. You shall not lie, you shall not steal, you shall not commit adultery. Well, that's the script for all the hit TV shows and Hollywood blockbusters. What happened to the Ten Commandments? Well, they've disappeared from our culture because we don't like boundaries, we don't acknowledge limits, we want an all-access pass to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You may eat of any tree in the garden. Nothing is forbidden. It's all good. So instead of humbling himself, Uzziah decided to double down on his pride. Verse 19, Uzziah, who had a censer in his hand, ready to burn incense, became angry. When I get angry, 99% of the time it's because of my pride. Someone has violated my pride, and I'm really, really not happy about that. 
Uzziah became angry. No one had ever resisted his will before. No one had challenged him. How dare you talk to me that way? Pride cannot tolerate correction. Don't you know who I am? I am the king. I can do anything. Uzziah, who had a censer in his hand ready to burn incense, became angry. And while he was raging at the priests in in their their presence before the incense altar in the Lord's temple, leprosy broke out on his forehead. When Azariah, the chief priest, and all the other priests looked at him, they saw that he had leprosy on his forehead, so they hurried him out. Indeed, he himself was eager to leave because the Lord had afflicted him. You see, a leper was not allowed in the temple. It would be a sacrilege because a leper was unclean. So if Uzziah didn't understand his unworthiness as a mere king, he got a visual aid. His leprosy made his unworthiness abundantly clear. Uzziah's enlarged ego had empowered him to take a risk, and God responded by putting him in the skins game. James chapter 4, verse 6 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Pride is bad news. Verse 21 says, King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. He lived in a separate house, leprous and excluded from the temple of the Lord. So here's a king who wanted to live without limits, who is now quarantined to solitary confinement in the hall of shame until he died. Because the God who loved him would not tolerate a violation of his holiness. It was a sobering lesson, and it sunk in because I'm not aware of any other king who would attempt this again. But in the same year, something extraordinary happened in that very temple where a trespassing king was stricken with a career-ending disease. Isaiah 6, chapter 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So we're back at the scene of the crime, where a priest, maybe a one of the priests who had confronted the trespasser, a priest who was allowed to be there, was about to get a major upgrade in his understanding of God. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted. And above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, with two they were flying. We have no idea what that would look like. And the next verse is even more puzzling. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. We don't have a clue what that means. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And Isaiah said, Wow, that is so cool. 
Amazing special effects, dude. There's smoke. The whole place is vibrating. It's just like disco. Hey, do you think I can ride one of the seraphim? No, that's not exactly what happened. The realization of God's holiness hit Isaiah with the force of a meteor impacting the Middle East. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. When confronted with God's holiness, Isaiah was overwhelmed. And the first thing he realized was that God is not safe. I am ruined. I'm finished. Yes, God is loving. He is forgiving. He is compassionate in his amazing grace. But God is not safe. C.S. Lewis depicted this in his books when he described and uh, characterized God not as a domesticated house cat, but as Aslan, a wild lion. God was someone to be feared. Isaiah was terrified. The presence of holiness threatened his very existence. As a sinner, he was busted. He was so overwhelmed, he felt like he was going to have a nervous breakdown. Woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. Have you ever experienced that, where you were just shook to the core of your being and you didn't know if this was the last moment of your life? We don't get that very often. Because we don't understand God's holiness. But that's what it does. God's holiness shows us how sinful we are. We would be absolutely shocked if the holiness of God appeared in this place. Because we're pretty good, you know, right? We're not that bad. As a scientific sampling, we're some of the best people in Calgary. There's all kinds of sins we've never committed, never would think of committing. But if God's holiness came... Who would be able to stand? We will see how sinful we are, how unclean, how evil. You know, Isaiah had been in the temple countless times, but it never happened like this. He never was able to grasp and see himself like this. I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips. One thing that Isaiah realized is that holiness and sin cannot coexist. That's why Proverbs chapter 3, verse 7 says, Fear the Lord and shun evil. How do you know if you fear God? It's not necessarily an emotion or a feeling. It's a lifestyle. If you fear God, you will shun evil. That's the logical consequence of fearing God. That's how you can know if you actually fear God. You will reject evil, evil no matter how compelling or attractive it is. You will reject it because sin is unclean. And holiness destroys anything unclean. It burns it up, it disintegrates like rubbish in a blast furnace. And that's exactly what Uzziah lost. 
He lost the sense of God's holiness. His concept of God was faulty. For him, God was safe. You could do almost anything. You could even go into the temple. For Uzziah, the fear of God had morphed into a casual familiarity. It was just too easy. Reverence was just a formality. His God was too safe. And I think that explains a lot of things. That explains all these shocking scandals of high-profile church leaders and Christian celebrities that we've had to suffer through over the past decades. Because there are these people who figure the rules don't apply to them. They have done so much for God's kingdom that they're entitled to a few personal exemptions. Because I am exceptional, I am therefore an exception. When God becomes too safe, we think there are no consequences. And that's exactly what our generation is counting on. They are gambling their eternal souls on the assumption that God has become more tolerant towards sin. So we don't have to take him that seriously anymore. In 2003, a survey revealed that only 13%, 13% of Canadians believed that God would ever punish anyone. The idea has virtually disappeared from our culture. 87% of Canadians had no concept of Judgment Day, no idea of hell. And I suspect that those percentages are probably even more Leninized today. Instead of the Bible, our culture believes in the creed of the Beatles. John Lennon was the one who taught us there's no heaven and no hell below us. And so Lenin's amendments to the Constitution of the Universe have been ratified by overwhelming popular opinion. The world is now safe. There will be no judgment. There are no consequences. The world is safe. No nukes, no divine rebukes. We become a non-fire and brimstone zone. And if God exists, well, he's probably kind of like Mr. Rogers. It's always a beautiful day in the neighborhood. And so in 2019, no one seems to be talking about holiness anymore. It's kind of become irrelevant. And you certainly don't talk about hell. (laughs) That is rude, barbaric, uncivilized. But the interesting thing is one church historian observed that when preachers like Wesley and Edwards and Whitfield spoke about the torments of hell people began to take God a lot more seriously and society became more heavenly as a result. When they spoke about hell, society became more heavenly. But when preachers ignored hell and focused only on heaven, society became more hellish. And we're seeing that happening before our very eyes. We've lost sight of God's holiness, his hatred of sin, his wrath against evil. There is no fear of God in our culture. People ignore his commandments and they use the name of Jesus to fortify their profanities and empower their blasphemies. And Matthew 12 verse 36 says, but I tell you men will have to account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. That's coming. But for now, they're getting away with it. 
So they think it's safe to curse the name of Jesus. They have unclean lips, but they're not getting leprosy. So they think it's safe. But on the day of judgment, they will have to account for every careless word they've spoken. And judgment day is coming. And when it comes, we'll have no excuse. And we'll have no legal recourse. I need to call my lawyer first? No. Because all lawyers are sinners, we all know that. And there's going to be no appeals because all the judges are unclean. Judgment day is coming. And it's going to be the biggest shock ever. No one expects it. But as someone said, if God doesn't judge our society for its sins, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. You see, heaven has a zero-tolerance policy when it comes to sin. To anything unclean and impure. Revelation 21, 27, which I've mentioned often before, nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Nothing impure will ever enter it. You know, my, uh, my doctor has challenged me to drink two liters of water a day. So I fill up these bottles. I tried smart water, but it didn't work. My IQ is still way down there. So I just use these and I fill it up with clean water. In fact, this water has been tested, and it's so clean, there's only five parts impurities per million. And I wasn't very good at math, but I figured out that this water is 99.9995% pure. That is impressive. That's about as clean as it gets, which means I can take this bottle with me into heaven. Because it's good enough, right? No, I can't. I can't. Nothing impure will ever enter it. That's because God is holy. And people don't know about that. You know, much of Western Christianity is consumer-driven. We, we give customers what they want. And certainly the Christian faith has a lot of commodities that could appeal to the general public, you know, like love and goodness and grace and forgiveness and fulfillment and joy and hope, and it's all true. And so we fill our shelves with that. But we keep the more controversial attributes sealed and safely stored somewhere in the back. It's as if our mission statement has become, it's all good. Because we don't want people to be upset. We want people to leave church feeling good about themselves. We don't want people leaving church feeling, I am ruined. I'm a person of unclean lips. We don't want that. In fact, there are even more and more pastors who are so impressed and overwhelmed by God's love, they believe hell does not exist anymore because love wins. Love is so great that it has totally obliterated holiness. But that's a faulty concept of God. 
Because to be honest with God, there is good news and there is bad news. The good news is God's love. The bad news is that God is holy. I'm not saying that holiness is bad because holiness is as important as love. There's a verse in the Bible that talks about the beauty of holiness. Without holiness, heaven would turn into Las Vegas. We absolutely need holiness. It's as essential as love. We have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's not called the loving Spirit, although the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, but he's called the Holy Spirit for a very important reason. Paul says, don't you know your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit? Holiness is absolutely essential, but it's bad news for sinners, for the unclean. And that includes over 99.9995% of us. But at least we have religion. No, that doesn't help us. Religion doesn't go deep enough. Religion is like treating a massive heart attack with sunscreen. Sin goes to the very depths of our being, and we are sinners, we are trespassers, we are traitors. And the bad news is we are facing judgment and condemnation, and our final destination is hell, eternal quarantine and solitary confinement. That is the logical consequence of violating divine holiness. But the amazing thing is that God's holiness creates no conflict of interest with his love. There is no conflict between God's love and God's holiness. In fact, it was the holiness of God that created the opportunity for the greatest display of God's love. In the presence of God's holiness, Isaiah was lost. He was unclean. And verse 6 says, And one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Sin is atoned for. God never sets aside his holiness for our benefit. But his holiness gives him the opportunity to demonstrate the greatness of his love and to provide salvation. He does it in a way that does not violate his holiness. There is a way. And that way has a name. And that name is Jesus. That's how the bad news changes to good news. And when you have Jesus, there is no more bad news coming from God. It is all good. Because Jesus was sacrificed as our substitute. He was punished in our place. God was not safe when Jesus was on the cross. If you want to see how much a holy God hates sin, look at the cross. Isaiah 53 says Jesus was despised. 
He was rejected. He was stricken. He was smitten. He was afflicted. He was pierced. He was crushed. He was wounded. He was punished. He was oppressed. He was slaughtered. That's how much God hates sin in His holiness. The Son gave up the safety of the Father's house and was crushed for our sins under the holy fury of God's wrath so that we could be forgiven and cleansed through Jesus Christ. And because of Jesus Christ, all charges have been dropped. Because of Jesus Christ, the penalty has been paid. The bad news has been changed to good news. And God didn't have to change a single aspect of His holiness. So, the reason this happened is so that we can get on with the rest of our lives. And what do the rest of our lives look like? 1 Thessalonians 4, 7 says, For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Holiness needs to become one of the most relevant things about our life, about the way we think, about the decisions we make, about everything. God has called us to live a holy life. And coming to this table, we accept that as the appropriate consequence of the salvation that we have through Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you so much for your holiness. We would never want you to set aside your holiness for our sake. That holiness is as important to us as your love. And all of eternity, we're going to be worshiping you for your holiness. And it's your holiness that makes heaven heaven. And so we come to this table as unworthy sinners who have been cleansed and who have received grace and who have the Holy Spirit living in us. We thank you, Lord, for your salvation through Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.